0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. This morning, I want to start a series I let you know last week. Our, Our practice as a church is to work verse by verse and word by word, really, through books of the Bible. and. We finished a lengthy study of 1 Corinthians, and I almost made it. I was one week short of um, finishing 1 Corinthians. And then Jacob uh, walked us through the first uh, 13 chapters of Exodus. And we will, in a few weeks, return to to. That kind of consecutive exposition—that's what it's called, verse by verse through books of the Bible—and we're going to go to First Peter. That's where we're going to we're going to land for a little while. But before we do that, we are going to spend um, a few weeks—four, probably. It could be more, but right now, my plan is four weeks in in a series that we're calling "God in the Shadows," and it's a series that is going to deal with the the dark and difficult times of our lives. A study in 2017 showed that major depressive disorder affects approximately 17.3 million American adults in the United States. 17.3 million affected by a major depressive disorder. That is 7.1% of the U.S. population ages 18 and older in any given year. 1.9 million children ages 3 to 17 have diagnosed depression, according to the Centers for Disease Control in 2018. Anxiety disorders affect over 40 million adults in the United States alone each year. The reality is that issues related to anxiety and depression are a common human experience. And so often, they they can come out of nowhere. I had never been... Someone who had dealt with any sort of anxiety or depression. I always felt like I could go with anything and roll with the punches until it comes. And so we will look together into God's word at what we can learn and apply to our lives when it comes to these dark and difficult times of our lives that all of us face. Listen, if you aren't in a a dark point of your life or you haven't been in a dark point of your life, then the reality is you will be in a dark point of your life. But before we do that, before we look into God's word over these next Weeks, there are some disclaimers that I feel are necessary right from the very beginning. And there's four in particular. And these are important. The first is that Christians can suffer from depression and anxiety. Now, I want to say that straight out from the beginning. Because there are some preachers who will stand in a pulpit or who will write a book or who will be on a television show who will say that a Christian should never be depressed. As a matter of fact, most of them claim to be too blessed to be depressed. That is not true. That is not the case. That is a bunch of hogwash. That anxiety and depression and worry and fear are all part of the consequences of the fall. And the Bible is full of people who suffer bouts and episodes, some short and some prolonged, of depression, of anxiety, of fear, and of worry. And if anybody stands before you and says, as a Christian, you should not ever suffer from depression or anxiety. That is someone who has obviously never re- read their Bible because the pages are full of it. The Bible is full of people that love God and are used by God and yet have deep times of depression. Many people, and, and I can sort of join with them, would say that a man named Charles Had Spurgeon, who was a, a, a preacher... And England is one of the greatest preachers who've ever lived. And he suffered deeply, long, prolonged seasons of depression. Yet God used him greatly. Christians can suffer from depression and anxiety, and I hope in this series you don't hear from me that if this is something you deal with, you shouldn't deal with it, and if you're dealing with it, it's because of some besetting sin in your life. That may not be the case. Because, number two, depression can be an illness. Well, it's not always an illness, but it can be an illness, and it can have physiological um. Things that are taking place in your body that are causing them. And we need to be able to, to, to say that. We need to be able to admit that, admit that. And because depression and anxiety can be an illness, I want you to hear me say that treatment is okay. There are some who would say that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are depressed or you are anxious, that you should not take medication for that. Instead, you should only pray and trust. Those are people who don't fully grasp what it means. The treatment is okay and medication is okay. If depression and anxiety can be an illness, then we should view it as an illness For example, if you had cancer, which is an illness, and the doctor said, if you were to take this medication, there is a 99% probability that you would be cured of your cancer. Everybody would say, take the medicine, right? Now, there are a few Christians who would say, you should never take any medication. Those are the Christians that die of preventable diseases. Depression is the same. It can be the same. Mental illness is an illness. Number three, but pills alone and medication alone should never be the answer. That's not to say that medication isn't needed. It may be. Go see your doctor. But we can't just take a pill and think, that's enough. Let's move on. I've done it. We shouldn't do that in any part of our lives. We should, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, understand that God, his word, and our faith must play a role in every aspect of our lives. And we must consider the spiritual side of everything. Of everything. Even issues like depression and anxiety. And then fourthly, And lastly, in the forms of disclaimers, because I didn't want you to misunderstand any of this, I am not a medical provider. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an MD. I'm not a certified counselor. I am not a, a certified therapist. And this is not a therapy session. But getting professional help, if you need it, is good. And it should be looked at as normal, not abnormal. We should work to destigmatize seeing a counselor or a therapist. If you feel like that you need more help in these things, then we would love to help connect you. We're in a in a in an interesting space spot in the life of our church in that we have multiple counselors and multiple master's counselor students counseling students in our church multiple ones we'd love to connect you with them they'd love to connect you with with somebody that can help you so if my goal in this series is not for it to be a, a counseling session then what is the goal of this series and Here it is. It's to help us see that in the dark times of our lives, God should be the light. The Bible is not silent on the issues of depression and anxiety. In fact, it speaks directly to it in many many places. And one of those places is throughout the Psalms. All throughout the Psalms. What the Psalms lay before us is the real-life experiences of the writers, both the highs and the lows. They're played out right before us, right on the page. So for four weeks, we're going to spend some time in the Psalms. One of the people that play a, a central role in the Psalms and also show us both the highs and the triumphs of life and the lows and the despairs of life is King David. And this morning, I want us to look together at Psalm 13, and we will learn from David's experience this truth, that past graces frame present distresses. As we come to dark and difficult areas and times and seasons of our lives, then we should see and we should know and we should be grounded in this truth that past graces work to frame our present distresses. This is what you see in Psalm 13. Look with me beginning in verse 1 to the choir master. A psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord Because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this short psalm, we find David in a season of darkness. You see in his words a mounting desperation. It is clear that David is feeling abandoned. He's feeling abandoned by his friends. He's being abandoned by his family. And ultimately, he is feeling abandoned by God. And the reality is, is that abandonment is a common human emotion and David is in the depths of it. This is how our thoughts work often. We can go from no one really cares to not even God seems to care. But what is remarkable in these short six verses that really are a prayer... Is that you see a major shift in David's outlook? Could you see it? Could you feel it? Something changes. What's remarkable is, is the 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 only thing that changes is what David is looking at. The only thing that changes is David's perspective. You can see this this text breaks down. Pretty clearly, and it does so in in sections that consist of two verses, three sections consisting of two verses each. In the first section, you see a desperation in verses one and two. In the second section, you see a supplication in verses three and four. And in the final section, you see an adoration, verses five and six. First, you see a deep desperation as David writes, how long, O Lord? How long? You see this phrase repeated four times in these two verses. How long, O Lord? These words highlight the desperation that David is is feeling. Literally, this means until when? When is this going to stop? How long is this going to happen? Until when, God, will you stop forgetting me? Until when will you stop hiding your face from me? You, You read these words, how long, Lord? How long? How long? How long? This highlights a prolonged struggle that David is in. A struggle that has gone on longer than David thought he could endure. This is not a a temporary struggle. Thing in David's life, is it? I mean, if this was temporary, you wouldn't see this lament of his heart saying, How long, God, how long is this gonna take? How long are you gonna forget me? How long are you gonna hide your face from me? How long am I gonna have to take the counsel in my own soul? How long are my enemies gonna prevail against me? This is a prolonged struggle that's gone on longer than David thought he could withstand. Now. We do not know explicitly from this text what this struggle that David is in. We don't know what it is. However, in in my study and reading some, some people a whole lot smarter than me, it seems that this comes in the time frame known as Absalom's Rebellion. Absalom's rebellion is found beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Absalom is David's oldest son. He's his eldest son. And he has somewhat of a a checkered past. At one point, Absalom kills his own brother. Fratricide is the name of that. He kills his own brother. Now, his brother was wicked and and deserved it. But nonetheless, it's never a good idea to kill your own brother. I so just realized I didn't dismiss the kids. I did that on purpose. (laughs) It's never a good idea to kill your siblings. So Absalom flees. And he goes to to live with his grandfather. Now, David loves his son. And he, he longs to have his son back. For three years, he tries to get his son to come home. Finally, Absalom comes. But it's another two years before Absalom is ever brought into the presence of David. I want you to imagine that, moms and dads. Five years you've longed for your son. Five years you've wanted to see him again. For two years he's close, but he's not brought into your presence. Well, here's the thing. Absalom is a very ambitious guy. And this ambition begins to to rear its ugly head inside of him. And he begins to desire the throne of his father. And so he begins to work behind the scenes to, the way the scriptures say, steal the hearts of the people of Israel. He kind of stands at the gate before anybody could get in and he begins to give advice and counsel. He's intentionally working to to raise a coalition of support, really to, to overthrow his dad to become king. And this happens just to show Absalom's heart. He sort of veils this in some, some uh, supposed piety to go and worship the Lord. But in doing so, he, he takes people with him to rebel against David, his own son. And so Absalom has, has worked and, and recruited these people. And he's ready now to take over the throne. And David has to flee for his Life. And it's during this time of of fleeing that the scholars believe that this was written. And here is David in the throes of abandonment crying out to God, How long? Look at what he says How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Is this going to last forever? Are you going to keep silent forever? Are you not going to act forever? Listen, church, in the short term, we may be unaware of God's presence or we may be puzzled by his apparent silence. But in the short term, we can trust that God has reasons for being silent and we're able to be patient. But it is different when the short term becomes the long term. It's then that we begin to wonder whether God's silence may endure forever. We begin to think that the end of this trouble will never come. And this is where David is. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He goes on to say, how long will you hide your face from me? The face of God represents the blessings of God. When we say, oh God, would your face shine upon me? Would you look on me? What we're saying is, God, would you bless me? That's what it means to have the face of God on you. You receive from God the the blessings of, of God. This is it's David saying, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will your blessings be taken away from me? Not only have you abandoned me, but your blessings are gone and it feels like they're never going to return. Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? You aren't here to counsel me, God. So what happens? What this verse is, is David's thoughts that are running wild. This this counsel in his own soul that leads to a sorrow in his heart all the day are dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. That never happens to us, right? We feel abandoned. We feel as if God isn't there. We feel as if things never change. And we let our thoughts run wild. We let our emotions get out of control. We take counsel in our own souls. You know, when the favor of God feels like it's vanished, when spiritual blessings are void, we tend to dwell on the failures And we get in an emotional funk. And that can be all-consuming, can't it? That's what David says, all the day. All the day, I have sorrow in my heart. How long, God, shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, it it seems like I'm the only one you aren't blessing. That's what David's saying. My enemies, they're being exalted. They're being exalted over me. Evidently, you're blessing them. I'm the only one you're not blessing. How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Here I am in this state while others prosper around me. Now, we never do that, do we? We never look at others and think, man, look at them. Meanwhile here we are this is this is David's desperation this is the the state that David's in and it is and it can be and it, it will be the state that we will find all of ourselves in a state of desperation, a state of abandonment a, a state of, of Wondering if it will ever end, wondering if God is there, wondering if God hears, wondering if God will ever bless. Desperation. You know, it's needed just to stop and to say, isn't it great that we have a God who's willing to take our desperation? We have a God to whom we can bring these thoughts, to whom we can bring these emotions. We don't have to hide. We can come to him. And he is there to hear. That's exactly what David does. You see this this mounting desperation that rolls right into supplication, right into prayer. Prayer. Verse 3, consider me. Consider and answer me, O Lord. My God, light up my eyes. lest I sleep the sleep of death. Hear me, O God. Answer me, O God. Look on me, O God. Bring light to this darkness. That's David's prayer. Psalm 18. For it is you. Who light my lamp? The Lord my God lightens my darkness. God is the light in our darkness. And David turns to him and prays and asks, Hear me, O God. Answer me, O God. Would you bring light to my eyes? So that I don't sleep the sleep of death. He's at the the point of such desperation even unto death. God, would you answer me? God, would you answer me? And God, would you do it for your glory? That's what David prays. Now, he prays it in an interesting way, doesn't he? Because he prays it like this. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, that sounds awfully self-centered, right? But if you're David and you're the king of of Israel, that is not self-centered. That is God-centered. Because when you're the, the chosen king of Israel, when you're God's chosen and anointed ruler, when you're God's man, when you're the man after God's own heart and people triumph over you, what they view that is a triumph over God. And so when David says, consider me, answer me, bring light to my darkness so that my enemies don't triumph over me, they don't prevail over him. See, that's so they don't say it, I've prevailed over him. That's a, a proclamation to the nations of that God was not able to stop us. That's, that's the point. So when David says that, what he's saying is, God, would you do it for your glory? Because when the man of God is shaken, people like to think that God himself is shaken. God, would you do it for your glory? Church, when we are in our darkest, we must go to God in prayer. We must turn to God and plead with God. And the reality is, the great reality is, is that we can be bold about it. We can approach the throne of God with boldness. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 15 it says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying: is that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who has gone through everything we've gone through. You don't think he felt abandoned? Oh God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. You don't think he was in the the deep dark emotions of a, abandonment and desperation? Jesus Christ was there. yet he was faithful, yet he was sinless, he was holy. And now our great high priest isn't in agony in a garden or in agony on a cross but he's in glory at the right hand of God and he is there to intercede on our behalf therefore we can come to the throne of grace with boldness because we have a great high priest who lives to intercede with us in our darkest times in our hardest times we can come before God in boldness and say would you consider me God would you answer me God God, would you have your light shine on me, God? And Jesus stands there and says, yes, not because of him, but because of me. That's what it means to approach the throne of God with boldness and confidence to receive mercy and to find grace in our time of help, in our time of need. David's in deep desperation but he doesn't stay there. His desperation moves right into supplication. And then he moves amazingly to adoration or to praise. Verse 5. But. That's, that's, the, that's the transitional word there, right? But. Something's changed. But. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want you to see what is important here. And this is, this is, this is where I get past graces frame present distresses. Because what is of importance to note here is the tense in which these verses are written. No longer is David writing in the present tense. Now all of a sudden he's writing in the past tense. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. So my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because you have dealt bountifully with me. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And because of that, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I can, in the darkness, sing to the Lord. I can, in my distress, sing to the Lord. Why? Because in the past, He has dealt bountifully with me. In the past, God has been faithful to me. Do you see how past graces work to frame present distresses. David had already experienced the grace of God to sustain him in dark days. As I studied this text, this is one of the primary reasons why most scholars believe that this was written in the days of Absalom's rebellion. Because something has happened in the life of David That there's not a, an, an arrogance that once was there. There's contrition. There's humility. And there's a looking back at the past graces of God and the way that he, God was, was faithful. You see, David has already been in difficult days as he fled for his life from Saul. Hiding from him. Being chased To be killed. David's already dealt with that. David's already been right where he is. He's got Absalom and his his army chasing him. He's had Saul and his army chasing him. And before God was faithful. And so David's able to say. Because God was gracious in the past. I know God will be gracious in the future. David's already dealt with his great sin. David's already dealt with the, the repercussions of his sin with Bathsheba. The loss of a child. And he was able to come out of the other side and say, even though I didn't deserve it, God was gracious with me. Because he was gracious in the past, because he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future. David has been here before, and God was gracious. And God saw him through. And even though he feels abandoned in this moment, his past experiences have shown him that God is ever faithful. And God is ever present. And this is enough to sustain David. And the only thing that changes is what David's looking at. In verses 1 and 2, he's looking at himself. It's all about him. In Verses 3 and 4, he's looking at others. He's looking at his enemies. But in verses 5 and 6, he looks back and he sees God and his grace. And in this darkness, the past graces of God are a light. Listen, church if David went through dark and difficult times like this, then of course we will. If God and his sovereignty allowed this in David's life, we shouldn't be uh, surprised when God allows it in our lives. And it isn't because of some besetting sin. It isn't because... Of some failure of morality. It isn't because of some weakness of character. It's because God, in His sovereignty, has chosen to put us there or to leave us there to produce in us a hope that lasts. Church, when those times come, don't fall into the trap of looking inward and letting your emotions run out of control. Don't fall into the trap of looking at others who seem to be flourishing while you are languishing. But instead, look back and see how God has dealt graciously with you. And know that God is faithful. He's the same yesterday as he is today and as he will be tomorrow. Now, you may be sitting here saying, but Jason... You do not understand. I ain't no King David. I can't look back. I don't have a giant to look back at and see laying dead on the ground because of my rock. I don't have a a king like Saul who was... Chasing me to kill me and I was able to to witness and see your faithfulness in a major situation like that. I, I can't look back and see God saying, you're a man after my own heart. I don't have those experiences that David have. So sure, David can look back and see the faithfulness of God and be encouraged by that. But I don't got that. Church, I would say that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have had God reach into your dead heart and bring life. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have experienced the undeserved, unmerited, unmerited, unrelenting grace of God in the forgiveness of your sin. And nowhere is the grace of God more clearly seen than in the person of Jesus Christ. Nowhere. And so if you can claim that God in His goodness, in His mercy, in His grace have saved you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have experienced the grace that is greater than any other grace. And you can look back and you can say, do you know what? I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I would have never wanted it but for the grace of God. That's what this was this morning as Ronald proclaims his faith before us, that God did in him a miraculous work of grace. And now, no matter what comes, no matter what difficulties, no matter what darkness, you can look back as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God has dealt graciously with me and so I will rest in his salvation. Church, your salvation is enough To sustain you through these dark days. It was for David. Look what he says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He didn't say nothing about Goliath there, did he? Say nothing about wild animals there, did he? He said nothing about armies defeated, did he? No, what did he say? I've trusted in your steadfast love. So my heart shall rejoice at your salvation. And the same is true for us. God's salvation is enough to sustain us. Here's the difficulty. The difficulty is when we're in the midst of the darkness, when we're in the midst of the desperation, it's hard to pray what David prayed, and that is, would you lift my eyes? It's hard to take our eyes off ourselves. It's hard to take our eyes off others. But we must, just like David does, lift our eyes to God and see his past graces in our life. And let that frame our present distresses. God has been faithful in the past. And even though it doesn't feel like it, God will be faithful in the future. God has dealt graciously with me in the past. And even though it doesn't feel like it, God will deal graciously with me in the future. God has had his face shine upon me in the past. And even though it feels like he's hiding his face from me, God will deal graciously with me in the future. And now the grace of God, the faithfulness of God is the light in our darkness. Listen, church, if you've never experienced that, if you've never experienced that grace of God that comes, the grace of God that forgives, the grace of God that sustains, today can be that day. You can know it today. All you have to do is humble yourself before God. Admit your need for a Savior because of your sin. And profess and believe that Jesus Christ alone is that Savior. And you can walk out of here today just like David. Experiencing a grace of God that will frame all your future distresses. In the darkness, in the despair, in the abandonment. God is our hope. And the good reality is he's already proved it. And now his past graces frame our present distresses. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.